Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 20. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast. I am Richard Ryerson. I appreciate all your support, and thanks for tuning in. Hey, before we start with the interview, I want to talk a little bit about Bluehost.com. Now, if you've ever been interested in building your own platform, starting your own blog, starting your own podcast, there are thousands upon thousands of web hosting solutions out there. I'm going to recommend Bluehost.com. That's what I use. It's what DoseOfLeadership.com is hosted on, and it's probably by far the best web hosting service I've ever used. The support is, is, is great, 24-7 support via phone, email, or chat. They've helped me out numerous times with questions, and I always got a live voice or someone right away on the, on the chat side. It's easy to use. There are no limits on, on the disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and it's really affordable. About $495 to $695 a month, depending on which plan you select. You can't beat that. Note, I am a Bluehost affiliate, which means the company does pay me a commission every time someone signs up for one, via one of my links. I recommend Bluehost because I honestly believe they offer the best hosting available. So go check out doseofleadership.com, click on My Tools, click on the Bluehost link, and you can get more information from there. Again, thanks for your support, and enjoy the interview. Well, I'm pleased to have on the show today Judith Humphrey. She's a pioneer and leader in the field of leadership communication. She's the president of the Humphrey Group, a group that provides seminars and one-on-one coaching in the leadership community to executives and managers. She's also the author of a great book called Speaking as a Leader, and it's a book that shows us how to influence and inspire others every time we speak. It provides a single comprehensive approach that helps all of us lead in every communication from formal speeches and presentations to phone calls to meetings and even into elevator speeches. Judith, it's great to have you on the Dose of Leadership. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, thanks, and I appreciate the conversation. Well, tell tell me a little bit about. I want to talk a lot about your book. I, I t- you know, in a pre-interview, and we talked a month ago, and I'm so glad we finally got to get this on tape. But um, I told you that this was one of my uh, Bibles, if you will, speaking as a leader. That's helped me. Of course, I'm a public speaker, and I bought it initially to help me in my public speaking. And what I found, though, that the book was much more than that. It was a book about number one, how to think like a leader, how to script myself as a leader, how to use a language of leadership, how to achieve what I really consider what the Marine Corps taught me, how to, how to achieve leadership presence. It's a great book. Can we start, you know, what's prompted you to write the book? Well, it's a book that reflects everything we've been teaching to leaders for 23 years. And I felt it was important to distill that knowledge and that learning and, and give it to people beyond our client base. So I was motivated to reach a much broader audience with the same techniques and, and learning that we provide to our clients. Uh, and it has, in fact, done very well. Well, I think it's, you know, it's important, too, and you, and you know, we don't talk about, when we talk about leadership, we don't, communication is often implied, but communication really is at the heart of everything. I've always said in my presentations and speeches that almost every problem that we come across can be linked to some sort of communication problem or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. If you're yes, not, that's true. If we don't communicate, we're really not leading, right? We fail to lead if we, we, we don't understand how to communicate. Absolutely. You know, and that's really 
the sweet spot that this book addresses, the, the, the intersection of leadership and communication. And those are two powerful areas. Uh, obviously, leadership is a huge area of interest and development, and communications have always been um, important uh, throughout history. But when you bring those two together, you really see the power that communications have for any leader at any level in any situation. And you're absolutely right, Richard. If you can't communicate well, you can never lead. Because leading is about inspiring and influencing others, getting people to follow you, moving people. And how do you do that? You don't do it physically, obviously. You, you, You do it through persuasion. And that's what the book is all about. Well, what's great about the book, too, is that you've got a pretty... It's, you know, and I have a, a Marine Corps brain. I only have three brain cells. Two of them are always rubbing against each other, so I only got really one free brain cell. <laughs> so I like things that are simple and scalable, and that's what's great about your book is that you talk, you break it down into four major steps, and those steps are think like a leader, create a leader's script, use the language of leadership, and achieve a leader's presence. Let's help some of our listeners on that first one, like think like a leader. What are some of the things that we can do to start beginning to, to start thinking like a leader? Mm-hmm. The most important aspect of thinking like a leader is to move from what we call an informational approach to communicating to what we call an inspirational approach to communicating. Um, so many of our clients come to us and they're knowledge workers. They're, they're wonderfully um, proficient at knowing a certain body of material. And actually this morning I had a call from someone who said that there were some senior vice presidents and vice presidents, 15 of them, who basically were underwriters, and they had no voice. They didn't know how to communicate, and they would never you know, rise above that level in the organization, and kind of why they even got that far without communication skills and without any voice. But um, having the mindset of, of a person who's inspirational means that you no longer see your value simply in terms of informing people or conveying your knowledge. I mean, the PowerPoint presentation, as it's classically done, is really an information dump. And so what we do is we encourage people to move from that informational focus, where they're simply transferring information to their audience, to an inspirational focus, where they're really seeking to move their audience with their thinking and get the audience to respond and act upon that thinking. So the most important mindset change we look for in developing our clients is the move from information to inspiration. And there's also the importance of moving from negatives to positives. So many people who are subject matter experts focus on the negative, and managers tend to focus on the negative, that is, what is the problem, solving problems. But leaders focus on positives, on goals, on aspirational realities. And so if you can get people to move from negatives to positives, you're also moving them from um, a place where they're really more managers to a place where they can be true leaders, inspirational leaders. Yeah, you know, I think the example, you gave a great example in your book on the area of move from information to inspiration. You know, there's a, and I was talking with someone last week, we had, we talked about, the, I think it was David Casulo, and we talked about the, this example too. But the example you give in the book is, is and you take from, I think the book is called Lincoln at, Lincoln at Gettysburg, I think. Um, mm, yes. And they give that examples where the, you know, does anybody know who Edward Everett is? 
Mm-hmm. And they were like, no. Well, everyone knows who Abraham Lincoln is, right? <laughs> well, Edward Everett, if I'm correct, right, tell me if I'm wrong in these facts. But I think Edward Everett spoke before Abraham Lincoln, and he gave this really long-winded talk. He was a typical long-winded politician, and no one remembers him or his speech. But then Abraham Lincoln gives the Gettysburg Address, which is considered one of the most, the greatest speeches of all time. And how long was it? Do you remember how long it was? It was like less than three About minutes. two minutes. Two minutes, right? And Everett is about two hours. Right. And so it's typical. What we always see people do is we, we think, well, let's just give everybody all this information, all this content, bullet points in the PowerPoint, and we just bore everybody to death. But Lincoln was quite the opposite. He was just focusing on um, um, inspiration, right? The commitment to an the idea meaning, or vision, right? Yeah, the vision, the meaning of the war, the meaning of the battle, whereas Everett was focusing on the bodies that were lying there or buried there. Uh, under under their feet, so he was looking at you know, who died, where they were buried, and all the sort of data and detail of the battle. As Lincoln was looking at the the visionary aspect of the battle and what it meant for America, it was amazing such a distinction between the two. But you know, you see the Everett version of speaking everywhere oh, yeah. in the corporate world. <laughs> People pull out their powerpoints, you know, twenty, thirty, forty slides. And, you know, you ask yourself, what are they saying? Yeah. And, <laughs> and basically, when it comes down to it, they're saying nothing. Yeah. They're talking a lot, but actually saying nothing. Because when you think of what leaders do, leaders speak with a point of view, with a message, with, with a, a, a vision. And most people do not speak that way. Yeah, and you think about some of those great speeches of all time. You know, I, I think you, this is an example, if I remember correctly in your book, you know, would you have, you know, could you could you just picture Martin Luther King in front of you know having a PowerPoint with you know a clip art with two people clasping hands or something you know that would just totally distract from the original great message right all the great speakers you know talk about a grand idea and a grand vision and we absolutely should, yeah. and we shouldn't sell ourselves short even in, even in a simple conversation as you say in an elevator we need every opportunity is an opportunity to lead and that's what I love about this book. Well, that's right. Most people think of leaders as being out there, way out there. You know, as you, as you said in one of your other uh, podcasts, they think of leaders as being uh, charismatic and um, above the rest of us. But you know what? That leadership quality is in everyone, and that the ability to lead is in everyone. And we simply have to see that. We have to develop the communication skills that allow us to move people. And it's when I think about another aspect of the mindset of a leader, um, which you asked me about, having that motivational intention is so important. That is, the intention to actually move people to believe something that they didn't believe when they walked in the room. Mm. Now, anybody can have that. Any any manager or analyst or director or VP or president, anyone can have that intention. But so few people have that intention when they set out to communicate. Um, for example, I was talking with um, a CEO of a mining company, and most of the material that had been prepared for him was simply informational, you know, stats about the mine, stats about the financial success of the company, and so forth. So I said to him, uh, what is your message? And nobody had ever thought about that, you know, the fact that he should have a message. And 
nobody can speak well. Nobody can have presence or real power and authority in a room unless they do have a message. Yeah. And, let, you know, and this gets to the notion of a script, what is a good script, right? Yeah. Essential to every good script is a key message. A one-sentence message that you believe and that you want others to believe. And when you hear it, you know it's there. And someone like Bill Clinton is so good because he always has a message. People who aren't good don't have messages. So that that's really a defining aspect of speaking as a leader, having a key message, and then knowing how to develop it. Develop it through some proof points. So not straying from that message at all, but really driving it home, almost like a trial lawyer. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes we feel like we have to jam so many of our ideas. You know, we got limited time, and it's such a noisy world. It's such a noisy workplace. It's so hard to get noticed. Sometimes when we do get that chance to communicate, we feel like we have to jam as much information as possible. It's almost like we vomit bullet points, even though we're not going to have a PowerPoint in front of us, right? So, but getting to your point, if I'm hearing you correctly, is it's about getting that message, and, and what are you trying to say? And i got to be honest with you, that's, it's harder work. I mean, I... And even when I sit there and think about my quiet time is what am I trying to say in my presentation, it's not as easy as, as it is. Do you have any tips on how to extract any of that ideas, how we can get that message? Well, it has to be something that you believe. So it has to be something that you believe and that you believe the audience should walk away believing. Yeah. So, so you want to distill not only your thinking but your feelings about that audience. What is the opportunity to move them? You have to ask yourself that first. So really all great speaking starts with the audience and analysis of the audience and an understanding of, of where they are in their thinking and where you want to take them. And so the message begins with that framework. Where do you want to take them? What do you want them to believe? And then stating it. Stating it in a simple sentence. And then um, making sure that it's heard as your message. So we always say, start your, uh, state your message as a statement of belief. So I'm convinced, you might say, that our organization is moving forward largely because of the strength that you as, as employees bring or something like that. That could be a message. Um, or you could say, I'm, I'm convinced that we will deliver to our shareholders uh, extraordinary results in the coming years. Now, you don't want to overstate. That's, that's The importance of a message is that it's credible. So you can't say something that you couldn't prove. It's, it's not uh, a visionary statement that's airy-fairy, but it's, it's a statement that has a visionary quality to it, but it can be proven because the whole point of a of a talk is that you can prove your point, prove your message. Yeah. One thing that I want to go back to that I want to emphasize, and I know I've said this in um, a lot of my podcasts, I know I believe this wholeheartedly, I, I use it in my leadership presentations, and you, you touched on it there about the whole idea, you know, especially when you're starting out, you're in an organization, you're not the C-level leadership, you may not even be mid-level manager, but I think if you understand that you have to be willing, number one, and believe that you can influence others, regardless of your title and your position. And I think that, especially with today's, the way businesses are organized, and even in our families, we have to realize that we're obligated and we have the responsibility to lead, right? Isn't that a, a major mm -hmm. stepping stone to, to 
even begin to think like a leader? Absolutely. That is part of the mindset of a leader, that you, you have to think beyond hierarchies. In other words, when you think of yourself as part of a hierarchy, and in a sense, most organizations have that hierarchical dimension, but if you get caught up in that way of thinking, you'll never be able to inspire anyone above you, because you'll always be thinking of yourself as a more junior, and that will encourage people to be more tentative in the way they speak, more suggestive in the way they deliver their messages, and ultimately it will come across as weakness and um, vagueness uh, in in the way they speak. So they're never going to inspire or influence anyone above them if they think of themselves as more junior than that individual or that audience. So when you're leading, when you're speaking, you have to think of yourself as leading and the other people as followers, no matter how senior they are. Yeah. You know, that's one of the biggest challenges. I know it was for me when I was in a, um, you know, a mid-level leadership position, the last one I was in. You know, one of the feedback that I got from my my uh, CEO was that, you know, you need to get better at learning how to lead from below. And mm-hmm. what he meant by that was, you know, and, and I thought about that, and it doesn't mean – I mean, a part of it is political, I guess, and I don't want to I, – I, I hesitate to use that word political because I don't want it to come across as being – as not authentic but I think what he was meaning more and what I started to do was learning how to be more direct how to be more bold how to be more confident Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and how to lead and and inform above and that was one thing that I had to work on for a couple years but it helped and your book talks about that a little bit doesn't it how how do you lead from below you know it does it it talks about it in the sense that if you can get get away from this hierarchical mindset and think of yourself as simply leading every time you speak, then it means that you're thinking about yourself as having value for that audience, no matter how senior they are, and you're thinking about the fact they need to hear confidence from you. They need to hear, as you say, boldness. They need to know that you believe what you're saying, and it doesn't matter whether they're five levels above you, that they're going to follow your direction because you believe in what you're saying, and you have the goods, you know I mean? You, You Obviously, you're going to be speaking about what you know. Um, five levels above, they don't know what you know. So you have to come across as confident and convincing and, and obviously supporting your ideas with the facts. And if, if that's the kind of leadership that the senior people respect and respond to. But they're never going to respond to somebody who comes across as tentative or insecure or or vocally weak. Right. So everybody in in the organization, in any organization at any level, has a huge leadership opportunity. But they just have to see it that way. Yeah, and I th- and I think kind of tied with that, and even more challenging. And this is where a lot of the real leadership happens in every organization. I know I've seen it from the Marine Corps and everything that I've done up in, in the corporate level too. Is is how do you lead with your peers? That seems to be the most challenging, in my opinion, leadership challenge. Everybody thinks leadership, oh, I'm the guy at the top. i got to have the grand vision. Okay, leading from below, be more bold, communicate more effectively, more succinctly. But leading with your peers can, in my opinion, present some of the most difficult challenges in leadership and organization. But that's where the real meat happens in an organization. Any tips on how we can lead you know, from the side, I think, is how you put it in the book? Or, yeah. That is challenging. 
and it, it's challenging because you don't exactly know how to act in terms of leading leading from the side. Um, the rules are changing all the time, um, but I would say when you think about leading your peers, you have to really think about doing the same kinds of things we just discussed, being bold, being clear, being persuasive, um, using your body language to show that you are confident in what you're saying. I, I think you also, if they're your peers, have to really acknowledge their views, their values, their their situation. So when you're leading, you're also building a relationship and a rapport with others. It's particularly important at the peer level that you're not going up against them, that you're always showing um, a collegiality, uh, a team-based approach to speaking. You're recognizing their views, recognizing where they're coming from, and building a sense of the relationship. That's so important. And when you're uh, same thing with customers, of course, when you're leading customers, you want them to buy, you want them to believe in what you're offering, but you have to constantly come back to what their position is, uh, recognize that, reflect it in what you're saying. So it's it's building the relationship as you're delivering your messages. Yeah, you gave a great example there. It's like to almost treat them like, it's almost like the relationship with a customer. When, you, when you're dealing with your peers, that's where the real emotional intelligence and the empathy needs to come in. You know, you need to have empathy and you need to, you know, understand how to be empathetic to be a good leader, but it really comes into play, I think, when you're dealing with your peers and leading from the side. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to come across as, you know, oh, who's this guy coming here trying to run the show? It's almost like, you know, here, let me let me try to understand your problem. Let me try to understand your pain. And if you can do that yeah. with your peers, I understand your pain, you're, you're going to win them over. And, you're, and if you can help them solve their problems without taking any credit for it, you know, give them the credit. Those are some tips I think are that are great. I mean, you know, a level of empathy has to be so much more higher when you're dealing with your peers. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way of putting it, that sense of empathy. And uh, and increasingly, of course, senior leaders, senior executives have to have more of that, more humility, yes. more empathy, more rep- building the rapport with their teams or with people they're speaking to at other levels. And uh, sometimes they get confused. I mean, I'm finding today that leaders are confused about that kind of tone, how they should be with each audience. And so, for example, um, I heard about a CEO the other day who who's trying to be very humble and part of his team to the point where he was kind of hanging over the podium. His body language was so weak and dismissive, but he was trying to be like one of them. And I think... I think if you're above a group in in rank, you have to have a certain ability to have them look up to you. So it's a very sophisticated process. You want them to look up to you, but you don't want to pull rank on them. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. It's a delicate balance, but I think, you know, know, it's the whole, you've got to... The key to leadership is you got to be who you are, number one. But at the same time, you have to have a little bit of acting involved and a little bit of presence. It's it's a you know you have to be authentic, but you have to. It's it's all about setting the example, I guess. Is really you know this is how mm-hmm. I want the organization to be portrayed. This is how I want you to treat me as a leader. It's all about setting the example. And I think if you right. 
if that's well, what you want in the organization, if you want to lean over the podium and be, you know, look lackadaisical and slacking, well, I guess then that's the way to go. But I don't think that's what most people are looking for in a leader, I don't think. No. No, so, so when I talk about thinking in a non-hierarchical way, I mean, that's basically what I believe. But there are subtleties beyond that. And so if you're a senior person in an organization, you have to act like a senior person. You know, you have to act in such a way that you have the respect of the team, that they see you as their leader. But if you're more junior in an organization, you're talking up the organization, you have to have a certain political savvy so that you don't um, become too uh, presumptuous. So there are gradations <laughs> in in the tone that you have to take. And so... The, being a leader, having a leadership presence is, is really an art because in one sense you have to be strong and bold at every level, but the other dimension is you have to be respectful of those who are above you if you're more junior and you have to be, um, you have to, if you're more senior, you have to have a kind of grace and, and uh, executive yeah tone that people look up to. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think one thing I loved about your book and that it really helped me out, the chapter that I refer to the most, and and it's even helping me with this podcast, I I, I have to I go back and I listen to this podcast. It's very painful for me to listen to myself, and I, I hear all the, what I call the, or what you call in the book, the, uh, the language that kind of weakens the ideas, you know, and I, I want to be authentic and I try to be genuine, but sometimes when you hear yourself and, you, and you're in front of an audience... We we tend to um, devalue or or the language that we use kind of erodes at our credibility. And your book talks about some great uh, examples um, that creates tentativeness in our speech and our presentations and our speeches. And some of them, and I know one of my that I'm really guilty about is don't over apologize. And too often it seems like we apologize when there's no need to, right? Right. Yeah, uh, especially women, but uh, I think men and women do this. Um, but this this tentative language or the dismissive language that we tend to use is again a part of our desire to not be too bold, you right. know, not be too aggressive or too assertive. And this is particularly true when people are trying to be collegial or trying to build consensus. But it ends up diminishing their authority as leaders. So whether you're male or female, too much apologizing makes it sound like you really don't believe in what you're saying. So, for example, a typical apology would be in a somebody's voicemail. They'd say, I'm sorry I'm not here today. You know, why should they be sorry? They have better things to do. So um, remove the apologies from the uh, voicemail. But we use tentative verbs, so we might, uh, people might say, I think, uh, rather than just deliver the statement that they believe. Yeah. I believe it's stronger than I think, or I suppose, or they, they use a conditional voice. It could be that. Or I wanted, a past tense, I wanted to do, to let you know that, though, you know, you no longer want to. So they, they use verbs that weaken the power of what they're trying to say, because I guess it, it makes them feel that they're not being quite so yeah, definitive. In, in your, case someone yeah, criticizes them, right? Yeah. Or, you know, another thing that people do 
is they have these prefatory expressions like, well, I might be wrong about this, but then they go on to say something. Well, of course, if you say I might be wrong about this, the audience thinks, well, you probably are. <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> or this has probably already been said, but let me... <laughs> Let me share this with you. Oh, I so, know, and I've done that. In so many, know? yeah, and, and like examples, like, well, it's only you know, this is my, it's only my opinion, but I think you know, why don't you just <laughs> state your opinion? You don't have to tell anybody it's only my opinion, you know, I, or you exactly. Know, and like, in, I think, or, in, or our best guess is, you know, it's yeah. a guess. Don't say it. Yeah. <laughs> or on the one hand, on the other hand, so what? What are you really saying? Yeah, people use that kind of language all the time. Well, even in simple things like if if I'm in a presentation or if I'm the leader, instead of saying, you know, hopefully we'll get to the root of this, you know, why don't you just say, (laughs) you know, we are going to get to the root of this, you know, that's so different. It's so subtle but so powerfully different. Yeah, hopefully. I never want to hear hopefully or I hope because nobody will believe anything you say when you use that verb. (laughs) You know, one thing. And the I, negatives, too. I mean, I just want to mention something about the negativity of language. Uh, people will say, when you ask them to say, do something, no problem. And to me, no problem is a problem because it's two negatives, and two negatives don't make a positive. Yeah. So I just, I wish people could eradicate negativity from their language because it diminishes any sort of constructive or leader like thinking that they might be putting forward. Oh, that's great. And one thing, too, that I, in the book that I'm very really guilty of, I've been criticized on, I did some coaching on uh, speaking, and and the thing that I got hammered on the most was kind of diminishing my belief or thought at the end. So I would build up, and I would have this great, and the audience was going to get inspired, and then I would just deflate it with some, you know, end of the sentence, you know, like, et cetera. Or I just t- totally deflated at the end of it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I build mm-hmm. the audience up, then I deflate them because I, I'm like, well... It's just kind of my opinion, or you know, I I have some wiggle worm or wiggle language or something that just totally deflates the whole idea. You got to be bold and state your state it out there, and, and that's how you inspire people, right? Absolutely right. Just put the idea out there, and don't diminish it with any caveats or any words at the end that say, "Well, at least that's what I think." <laughs> yeah. Hey, as a, as a father of four daughters, and it seems like I read somewhere that the Humphrey Group, I know we haven't talked about this, but do you have specific programs for um, women leaders? We do. I'm glad you asked. In fact, uh, send your daughters. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have a wonderful program for women, and it's, it's a program that's actually been used around the world by more than 100,000 women uh, in corporations. So companies like... IBM and Google and Dell and Microsoft, I could name many others, have have bought this program. And the reason they do that is because they want to give women an opportunity to move ahead in the organizations. The program is called Taking the Stage. And the reason it's Taking the Stage is that we feel, and this is based on our two decades of coaching before we developed Taking the Stage, we saw that women were not as forthcoming in their leadership. They're, they weren't as confident in their leadership as men are. Um, I mean, men are comfortable speaking up, uh, expressing their views, using strong body language, taking up two chairs. Women sit there folding themselves into half a chair <laughs> uh-huh. and... Uh, and uh, 
expressing their ideas very cautiously and using more tentative language and essentially not projecting the cost of leadership that they need to project if they're going to move ahead in organizations. And so this program actually transforms their style and their whole approach to um, leading. It starts, again, with the mindset that we say starting point of taking a stage is choosing to take the stage, choosing to be heard, choosing to take on a new position, choosing to take on an opportunity of some kind. And, uh, and then they develop the ability to do that, to eliminate those minimizing expressions from their vocabulary. They um, develop stronger, more confident body language. They have, they work on their voices in this program, and they develop uh, fuller voices, more, more compelling voices. So it's a skills-based program that women take all over the world. And uh, the reason they take it all over the world is we have a train-the-trainer version where companies actually oh, yeah, okay. do training. And, uh, and uh, so IBM, for example, has its own facilitators. We train them, and then they take women through this program. And the success has been phenomenal. I just had a conference call with one company today where the women were telling me about their stories and how, one case... A woman took the course, and so she wasn't available to a client one week. She came back to the client the following week, and he said, My God, what have they taught you? You're so different. You're so strong. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, and so um, it helps the client relationships. It helps the individual woman. It obviously helps the company when they have women that are much more confident. You know, I think that there's so many there's so many great examples of great women leadership out there, and it doesn't get highlighted enough, in my opinion. You know, again, as a father of four daughters, and it's amazing to me. My oldest is just about to turn 16. So bright, so brilliant. But in you know, and I'm a confident guy, and I come from the Marine Corps, and I'm all about the pre- you know the, the positive presence and optimism. And I don't know where this kind of um, lack of self confidence comes from. And it's nothing against. I, I don't know if it's. I, I really struggle with this. I don't know if it's societal, if it's something that I'm doing, or if it's, it's how we're wired. I just don't. I I can't figure it out. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm always excited when you see these great positive examples of women leaders. And um, it's one of my goals to get some more guests on here. I do get. I, in fact, I, I need to coordinate about. I did get a confirmation from Cat Cole. I don't know. If you know who she mm-hmm. is? She's the president of Cinnabon. Mm-hmm. And so she's going to be a guest on this show. So I'm excited great. that we get some. You know, th- and there's. There's so many great examples, but it just doesn't get highlighted, or or, or it gets highlighted in a stereotypical sense. You know, we get some of the the people that are highlighted out there, um, mm-hmm. and it's almost like they get vilified sometimes. Like, oh, I don't know, you know more about this more than I do, but it just seemed like yeah. um, it's great that you got a program that that highlights that. I'd like to look into that more, and that's great that you've got some positive examples from that. It's a it's a brilliant program, and it, it came out of our. Uh, our clients, I mean, just looking at our clients, watching them go through our one-on-one coaching, seeing that the, the takeout or the impact on women was different from the impact on men and trying to figure it out uh, why women reacted differently, why when they came out of our one-on-one coaching programs, they were still more tentative, more hesitant to express their leadership than men were. We, we figured women needed a stepping stone 
they needed an, an additional program, and so this taking the stage it gives them that additional confidence, uh, and it's worked out really well. It's I think the best solutions are always ones that are inspired by clients, and this one was, and um, so we we are really you know applying it or implementing it all over the world, and here in Canada, all the major banks are. Um, adopting it for their women, and they're seeing um, success. They're seeing women um, move up the ladder faster, and they're seeing individual women who suddenly discover their power, suddenly discover that they can be taken seriously. Yes, uh, absolutely. They, you know, it's an equal, like now they're saying, after taking the stage, they feel like they're having conversations with men that are conversations of equals. Yeah. But where does it come from? Uh, we, we don't entirely know, but we do know that socialization is a factor, that women are socialized differently than men are. You can only see that now with, with the resurgence of the, the whole girly culture, you know, the princess culture. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you'd think we'd be beyond that, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, you would think so, but I think, it, it, you know, there's something, at least from speaking from a man's perspective, there's... Um, I, you know, there's there's an element of power in that, you know, in in kind of sticking to that um, kind of princess. Co- I don't know. I don't even know exactly what I'm saying, but it seems like to be. You know, it's almost like it seemed like you know, thirty, forty years ago, it seemed like well, to be a powerful woman, you had to almost be like a man. But I think a woman who's I don't know what what am I trying to say here. I don't want to be offensive in any way, but a woman who who exudes confidence just by being who she is not trying to be somebody else not trying to be like you know one of the boys like you said taking up two chairs and and spitting and cussing with the best of it i don't think that's what we want to see out of any leader you know no and that's not what we want to see when we talk about taking the stage we don't mean taking the stage as a man exactly what we what we think of as the fully developed leader is really the same for the male as for the female. A fully developed leader, in a sense, has the strength of both what we think of as male and female. And by that I mean the fully developed leader, whether you're a female or male, is somebody who is strong and confident and able to get across a point of view, which is what we think of traditionally as the male leader, and also somebody who is... Uh, consultative, who can who can listen, yeah. who can reinforce, who can support, who can build a team, and that's what we think of as sort of the female strength. So if you p- put those two together, you have the fully developed leader, call it an androgynous leader, and I think that's what we want to cultivate in both men and women. And so that's what we're encouraging in women, to add on to their own wonderful qualities the the strength and confidence that men seem to exude. Well, I think you know it goes to you know I consider myself an introvert, and having a conversation with you know we talked about the introverted leader in a previous interview. There's a lot of strength and a lot of power in introversion, and I think what we've been kind of fed and forced to believe that you have to be this larger than life charismatic figure to be a great leader, and that's not true. And everything you were just highlighting right there are elements of a great leader, both man and both man and women. And that's where I think, you know, I think we tend to think that w- women are more introverted, I guess, in that way. But I don't know. I'm introverted too, and I, 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 there's a lot of power and a lot of strength to being 
empathetic, to being listening, being willing to take the heat for somebody, being willing to give credit for others, um, to support, to remove the big stones for people. That's what it's all about. Taking Mm -hmm. care of the folks and everybody, man or woman, can be good at that. Communicating, Mm -hmm. Communicating and being strong in that presence, sure, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, for whatever reason, if just like my daughters, I can't figure out why they're not. Com- they have every reason to be confident, but they're not for what for some reason. I don't know if it's you know because of the you get when you're in high school. What stands out? It's the bombastic, charismatic football leader and the head cheerleader, right? But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's not real leadership either. No. Well, this is why development uh, uh, in, uh, in the professional world is so important. That the people have to unlearn certain behaviors. Men have to, I would argue, unlearn um, certain things. They have to learn to listen more. Yes. They have to learn to um, build a team more, support each other, uh, and support women, support the whole organization. Women have to learn to come out from the group and really advance their own views in front of others to have their voices heard. So I think there's there's learning to be had for both men and women. And of course, in our training in the Humphrey Group, we do guide them in this way and teach them, all leaders, the same thing. Because ultimately, a leader should be a leader, regardless of whether they're male or female. The same qualities should apply. So that's a very exciting business. And uh, and one thing I want to add before we conclude the interview is that for those listeners who um, have been with us today, it's important to realize not only can everybody be a leader at any level, but you can be a leader in every situation. And this is something the book emphasizes, as you mentioned, Richard. The book emphasizes, the Speaking as a Leader book, will show people how to lead in every single situation. You know, for a leader, the microphone is always on. You're always being judged. And if you step into the elevator and you see your president, you want to have a good message for that conversation. You want to make the most of that opportunity. Uh, You're walking down the corridor and you see an employee. What is your message for that employee? You might start by listening, but then deliver an inspirational message. And so a leader is constantly thinking in terms of delivering inspirational messages to every audience. And leadership then becomes not just communication activity, but it becomes a way of life everybody can really aspire to. Well said, Judith. I think our call to action for all of us is that we will work to influence and inspire every audience, no matter how large, no matter how small. Judith, thanks for coming on the show today. I know you got to go and pick up another phone call here, but thanks for coming on the show. We'll uh, we'll have you back again. I, I love talking with you. Oh, that's terrific. Richard, you're a wonderful host, interviewer, and uh, colleague, and I, I appreciate your series and the opportunity to be part of it. Oh, thank you so much, Judith. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Pleasure. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. 
You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.